All right. If we go over tonight, it's Brother Mike's fault because of the special sermon that he gave and the extra song that we enjoyed. So that's good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It would be hard to beat the rain we've had this week, wouldn't it? Boy, it's been a blessing. It's been enjoyable to, to watch and to just observe. It's been good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we're thankful for uh, your many blessings in our lives. I pray that you'd help us tonight to just give some attention to your word for the next few moments. God, I pray that you'd use it to be a help to us. God, however uh, we might need it, I pray that you'd help us to, to make that application in our personal lives. And Lord, that we would uh, be better in our walk with you because of tonight. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think most of you know it's been a few weeks since we have been in our study of 1 Corinthians here on Wednesday nights, and so some of you may not remember what we last dealt with or what we've been talking about. And so I just want to remind us very quickly of the last few sermons because of how it all ties together. But whenever we came to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we watched as the Apostle Paul began explaining to the believers in Corinth about the issue or about the subject of spiritual gifts. And one of the things that I have tried to point out throughout the messages is this, is that every believer, every person who has truly been saved by Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift by God. There is no such thing as a saved individual who does not have a spiritual gift. So if a person is saved, they have a spiritual gift, at least one, that was given to them by God. And the purpose of that spiritual gift is that they might bring glory and honor to God, that they might bring glory and honor to the body of Christ, and that they might be a blessing and a help to others. At no point is our spiritual gift supposed to be used to bring glory and honor to ourselves. That is never the intended purpose of our spiritual gift. Sometimes the spiritual gift that we are given works with the personality that we were born with, and so many times the gift that we have is a natural fit, but sometimes the gift that we're given is something that we're not necessarily comfortable with. It's not something that we would necessarily choose to do, but nonetheless, that is what we have been called to use by the power of God uh, working in us, and so we've all got a gift it is for the glory and for the uh, advancement of the body of Christ and to be a help to others. We understand how it may or may not coincide with our personality, but that is irrelevant. We've also been reminded of this, that there is no distinction in gifts by way of importance, meaning if you possess this gift and this person possesses another gift, it's not as though you can say, well, mine's better than yours and yours is inferior to mine, okay? That, that, that's not at all the way it works. The gift that is given by God is a needed gift, and we will see that again tonight because Paul is going to expound on that just a little bit more. And so uh, that's what we've dealt with uh, to this point. Tonight, of course, we're moving on, going to consider just a few more verses. Kind of an interesting passage, and I'm not going to deal with all of it word for word tonight and deal with every thought of it, but certainly an interesting passage if you ever study these words out. But before we get there, I want us to think about something, okay? This is something that we know to be true, not just because the Scripture says it, though that's all the proof we would need, 
But we know this to be true because most of us have lived long enough to experience this and to witness this. So what is it that we all know to be true? Well, that would be this, that there truly is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, whenever I say that, whenever anyone would say that, we understand that there are new things that happen in society and new things that happen in culture, correct? I mean, there was a time when TV was new. There was a time when the computer was new, when the cell phone was new. So you understand that that's not what the Bible is talking about. What the Bible is talking about is when you're dealing with the hearts and lives of men and women, nothing is really new It's just repackaged, it's just recycled, and it just rears its head from time to time in one fashion or another, okay? So we understand that to be true. We understand that to be very obvious if we observe things at all. Yet here's something else we also know, and that would be this, that while there is nothing new under the sun, it does seem like... There is new levels of boldness from time to time in some of the things that we are witnessing and some of the things that we are seeing. Would you agree with that? Think about the subject of immorality. Certainly nothing new about the subject of immorality. People have been immoral as long as people have been alive. That being said... It would be hard-pressed, at least in recent days, recent generations, it would be hard for us to find a generation that is more flagrant and more open with this idea of immorality, what we're seeing now. So immorality is not new, but it seems like it's just much more in your face than it has been in generations past. Rebellion is not anything that is new, correct? It's not. Rebellion is old. But it seems like, it again, it's just more flagrant and more in your face, this pride associated with rebellion. And so, as we could continue on with illustrations to try to prove the point, I'll just get to this one and want to talk about it for a moment. Selfishness. Nothing new about selfishness, Correct. It's been going on for generations. For thousands of years, men and women have been selfish. But does it not seem, at least to an extent, that the level of selfishness has been taken to a new level in our day today? I know people from 75, 80, 100 years ago, they may say something like this, Son, it's no worse today than it was back then. You're just seeing it for the first time. I don't know. I'm just saying it seems pretty blatant and pretty in your face today. And so what I mean by that is this. Many of you probably work with some people who are amazingly selfish. They're not going to do one thing more than is required of them by the boss. They're not going to go one extra step. They're not going to go one extra mile. If it is not in their job description and if it doesn't fit within their particular shift, they're not worried about it. It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. Let somebody else deal with that. That's pure selfishness, isn't it? I think many of us would have to say something like this. We've got people in our family who are amazingly selfish. 
Now, that probably doesn't sound like anyone in your family, but someone in here would have to say something like this if they were honest. You know, we've got some selfish people in our family. All they do is think about themselves. They don't think about anyone else. They don't think about how their actions has an impact on anyone else. It's just all about them. That is so. And again, the examples could just go on and on. But tonight I want us to think about this truth. I've said it many times, but it's not anything that's original with me. But what we are seeing is this. That so many times, as goes the culture outside the church, so goes the culture, listen now, inside the church. It's not uncommon to hear of morality issues inside the church these days. It's not uncommon to hear about issues with rebellion inside the church these days. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon to see selfishness manifest itself in the lives of church members and Christians these days. As the culture has become more selfish, it seems like that spirit and that attitude has permeated the church walls and many of us who attend church on a weekly basis, many of us who would identify ourselves as Christians, if we were honest, we would have to say something like this, man, I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with just being consumed with myself and, and I'm most mindful of myself or my family or, or myself and my family and maybe our little clique. I mean, it's not uncommon for, for people in churches these days to be pretty self-centered and pretty self-absorbed. And that's really not the way the church was designed to function. That's really not what God had in mind when He established the church through Christ. And, and so this evening, I want us to think about something as we go through this text. I want us to think about what it should look like for a church family. I'm not saying that it doesn't look like this here at our church, but I think there is room for improvement on our part, at least in a general sense. And so tonight I want to begin looking in verse number 27. We'll go back and catch the previous verses in just a moment. But look in verse number 27 tonight of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul said, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So what does that do? All it does is reemphasize what he has already stated in previous verses. And that is this, that as individual Christians, we are members in particular of the body of Christ, okay? So as an individual who is a Christian, I make up a portion of the body of Christ. And you as a believer, as an individual, you make up a small portion of the body of Christ. So we understand that, right? If you are saved, if you are a child of God, then you are a part of the body of Christ. You, you can't do this solo, and you can't wing it out on your own. That's very important to be aware of. So ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So in verse number 28, again, Paul is just going to deal with some of the same principles that he's dealt with in the previous sections. 
He said, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, and every bit of that, all of those questions are rhetorical in nature. Okay, so what he is saying in verses 28 and 29 is this, is that God has put people in different positions in different areas of the, the, the body of Christ. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers, some that are able to, to do the miracles and the gifts of healings and the helps. But he said in verse number 29, hey, listen, we're not all going to do the same thing. It's just not practical and it's just not possible. You can't all have the same gift doing the same thing in the body of Christ be what it's supposed to be. So we need everybody doing their thing. We need everybody doing their part. And so in verse number 31, he said, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. We'll deal with that more next week. But, but here is what Paul is, again, reemphasizing many gifts... Many exercises of those gifts, not everyone will be of the same gift or the exercising of that gift. So as we understand how it's to be applied, notice in verse number 22. In verse number 22, Paul said, Nay, much more those members of the body, this being an, a reference to the physical body, he said, which seem to be more feeble or inferior are necessary. So what is he saying? He's saying what he's already said. That in our physical bodies, those parts which seem to be feeble or inferior or, or maybe not as important, they are necessary. They're needed. Let me ask you something tonight. It's a very simple, silly question. What body part tonight do you just want to voluntarily give up? You don't want to give any of them up, do you? I mean, you, you want to hold on to all of these as long as you can, right? Whenever you stop and think about that, it, it makes it pretty obvious that we look at our body and every little part of it, no matter how small and feeble or inferior it may appear to be, when you start talking about giving it up, that's when we say, well, I'm kind of partial to that. I like that pinky finger. I like that little toe. I mean, I like my toenails and I like my fingernails. That's how partial I am to the smallest parts of of my body, okay? And so what Paul is saying is, as it relates to the physical body, there is no such thing as an unnecessary part. So in the spiritual body as well, somebody says, you're repeating yourself. I know. Talk to Brother Paul about this, okay? When it comes to the spiritual body, there is no such thing as an unnecessary part. So somebody says, well, you know, I just, I don't have much to contribute. Somebody says, I don't have much to offer. Friends, that is important. It is necessary. It is needed. So in verse number 22, he makes that statement. Then in verse number 23, he said, And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. What does that mean? It just means this. 
that there are certain parts of our body that aren't real honorable. And every honest person would say, Amen. <laughs> and so what do we do? We try to make that part of the body nicer and maybe more decorated or or more enhanced or 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 just more becoming, okay? We take what might be not as attractive or or as becoming and we try to we try to bestow more honor upon it and he said upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness what does that mean well it means not only do we have less honorable parts of our body we have for lack of better words and i don't want to be inappropriate here but we have unmentionable parts of the body that you don't really need to discuss. Now, Paul's not being crude here. He's not being vulgar. He's just talking about the human body, though. And it is true. We have some that is becoming. We have some that, that, that is appropriate. We have some that is more honorable. We have some that is less honorable. We have some that is private. But he said uh, of the uncomely parts, they have a more abundant comeliness, and that's how God designed it. So in verse number 24, he says, For our comely parts have no need, which means we don't need more attention brought to them. But notice in verse number 24, he said, But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Now, I know this isn't really exciting right now, but just stay with me. So he said, The comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together. What does it mean for God to temper? It means this, to create or to unite or to bring together. So it is God who has brought together this body, this physical body that we have. We have some comely parts. We have some honorable parts. We have some less honorable parts. We have some, uh, some uncommon or, or yeah, some uncomely parts. But God has brought all of this together. God has created all this to give it a more abundant honor to the part which lacked. Okay, so, so God has designed the body and he has created it the way that he has so that together everything is made honorable, for lack of better words. So in verse number 25, that there should be no schism in the body. What is a schism? Well, it would be a division. So God created the body that there would be no division, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now remember, he's talking about the physical body right now in verse number 25. Following this? Okay. God designed our physical body and he put it all together that there would be no division in the body so that the members should have the same care or concern one for another each aspect of the body. Simple question. Is that true? That's how your body works, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how much you care about your body when the smallest part of your body begins to hurt or begin to ache or to begin feeling discomfort? 
I was thinking about it as I was putting this message together. And, and I know this isn't real thrilling, but it was just something that was illustrated in my mind. A few weeks ago, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was happening. But I could be laying in bed, and all of a sudden, my heel would just start hurting on one of my feet. And it was not just a little bit of pain. It was an intense amount of pain that would just flare up and then go away. You know what was amazing? I never said, ah, it's just my heel. I immediately began to care for my heel as much as I would any other part of my body. That is how we are designed. That is how we are made. God put us together physically in such a way that we begin to care about anything about as it relates to our body when it begins to, to maybe hurt or to not function as it was designed to. So in sticking with this, he said in verse number 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Well, is that true? It's absolutely true. How many of you have ever had a headache? Had a headache, haven't you? Have you ever had a headache that was so strong, that was so powerful, that it knocked you on your back for a while? When one part suffered, the whole suffered. You ever had a stomach bug? And that's going around, right? Isn't it amazing? You don't say, ah, it's just a stomach bug and it's no big deal. I'll just leave the stomach at the house and I'll go on. No. Isn't it amazing how the stomach affects every part of you? So in verse number 26, when one member of the body suffers, guess what? All members suffer with it. You don't just disconnect the one from the rest and say, well, it's just that. No big deal. No, what he said in verse number 25 is true. You begin to care for that part of the body in ways that you weren't even thinking about prior to that. So he says, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored or maybe be exalted, all the members rejoice with it. Now, in the physical body, I had a hard time coming up with what that means exactly. But here's what I know, that again, every bit of this is an analogy for the spiritual body, the body of Christ that we are a part of. So if you start thinking about this, if you start considering all of it in light of the analogy that it is intended to be, here is what we understand. We understand that not every gift and every member is going to have the same measure of beauty or respect or honor, but it does not change the significance of the person and the gift and the ministry that they possess. That being said, as you work your way through it, down through verse number 25, here is what God has designed for the body of Christ, that there should be no schism or division among the body of Christ. Does this make sense? That there should be a natural unity among the body of Christ, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So what does that mean? It means this, that in the body of Christ, there should be as much of a level of concern for one as there would be another. 
There is no room in the life of a Christian to look at one who may be suffering, who may be struggling, and we'll deal with this more in just a minute. There is no room in the life of a Christian to look at one who may be struggling and not care for them, but to look at another and choose to care for them. Because God has designed the body of Christ that we would have a natural care or concern for each member of the body of Christ. So much so that if one member should suffer, all the members should suffer with it. Does this make sense? Here's how the body of Christ should work. That if there is a member, that being a person, who is suffering, who is struggling, who is going through a difficult time, and for whatever reason they are not functioning to the level they ought to be functioning, like a body part is not functioning like it ought to be functioning, you know what we should realize? We should realize that all of us are suffering because of their suffering. All of us are being affected because of where they're at right now. See, here's what happens sometimes in this selfish spiritual world that we live in. Someone over here is struggling. Well, they're a more comely part of the body. You know, they're, they're more appropriate. They're, they're more delightful to look upon. You know, they're, they're a good part of the body that we really care about. And so here's what happens. They're struggling and they're suffering and, and they're going through a hard time. So here's what we do. In our little selfish clique, we run over to them. What's wrong? What's going on? What's taking place? How can I help you? How can I minister to you? How can I meet your needs? What can we do to encourage you? All these different things. Somebody says, well, how is that selfish? It's selfish in this regard, that so many times what happens is this, the less becoming and the uncomely parts, they're suffering, but because they're not as attractive as these parts, we look at them and we just say, oh well, it's not really hurting us. It's not really affecting us. What difference does that really make to us? Here's the difference, and here's what should impact us. They're a part of our body. <laughs> I know this, is, again, it's not really exciting, but this is so important. This person, whoever it is, though they may not be the one out front, the one who is getting the attention, though that may not be who the person is, if they are struggling and not performing the way they need to be performing, guess what? It's hurting us whether we realize it or not. 
So when there's somebody who is a part of the church family and they're down, they're discouraged, they're frustrated, they're backsliding, they're, they're going in a direction they ought not be going. Friends, if we are where we're supposed to be, do you know what that ought to do to us? That ought to send up the red flags immediately to where we say something to this effect. I need to go after them and do whatever I can to help them. Because they're a part of my body who is a part of the body of Christ. Now again, I I just want us to think about this. How many times, if we were honest, would we have to admit to some degree of elevated selfishness to where we look at it and we say, oh well, what's the big deal? I mean, could it be said? Could it be said? That maybe amongst our own ranks, sometimes we don't notice when people are falling away. Could it be said that sometimes when people are falling away, we may notice it, but it doesn't provoke us to try to do anything about it? I'm not saying we'll rescue every one of them. I'm not saying that we'll save every member, that we'll save every limb or every body part, so to speak. But should we not have the wisdom and the maturity to realize that if they're suffering, we're suffering? This body part is no longer functioning like it once functioned. This body part is no longer at full strength like it once was. You know what I need to do? I I need to pull them aside one service. I just need to visit with them and try to encourage them a little bit. This body part is struggling. This body part is not functioning at 100% like they once were. You know, honey, we need to stop by there and just pay them a visit and just... Kindly encourage them. This isn't really new information, is it? I just need to give them a phone call. Just need to send them a nice note. It's amazing how simple it is when you think about it. And yet how many times are we so consumed with self... We don't have time for that body part, that member, that's suffering. I'm just asking us what I've asked us before. When was the last time we saw the person struggling? We saw the person slipping in their walk, and we went to them and said, Hey, I don't know what's going on, but... When was the last time we went by their house? When was the last time we called them? When was the last time we sent them a text? When was the last time we realized they're suffering? That means I'm suffering. And since I don't want to suffer, I want to try to reach out and minister to this person. It's part of the outside selfishness that's crept into our churches. 
to where if we can't see where it's affecting us immediately, many times we don't even bother with it. So he said in verse number 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, I don't understand that completely as it relates to the physical sense, but I think I do have a little bit of understanding as it relates to the spiritual sense. Sometimes members of the body are honored, aren't they? They're given some kind of recognition. They're given some kind of respect. They, they have some level of esteem among other people. I don't know if you've ever known this to be true or not, but I can promise you it happens. Sometimes when other people are honored, that breeds resentment in the hearts and minds of other people. Why did they get honored? I've never been honored. Why was special attention brought to them? Nobody's ever brought special attention to me. Why do they get to do that and they, you know and I don't get to or or why do they get to do that but my good friend they don't get to do that. Did you know that conversations like that in a church take place? If you didn't know that I'm just here to let you know it it happens. I think that person is the favorite of the preacher. I think that person's, you know, like the preacher's pet. I don't know why the preacher thinks they're so special. Do you realize what kind of an attitude that is? It's a very selfish attitude. Because what the person is basically saying is this, is I want the honor. I want to be recognized. I want to be the one who has the respect. I want to be the one who gets the public attention of other people. And and you may say, well, I never struggle with that. You may not, but I'm just telling you, people struggle with it because there are those who, for whatever reason, they struggle with their pride, they struggle with their ego, and in their selfishness, they want what other people are getting by way of honor and attention. And what Paul said is this, is you need to understand, whether or not you're the member getting the honor, you need to rejoice with the one who does receive the honor. So it may not be us who gets the spotlight. It may not be us who gets the attention. It may not be us who has the the position that is out in front that everyone seems to have a high regard for. We don't ever need to let ourselves get jealous over that. We just need to rejoice that a part of the body is doing well. And there is some kind of honor for this reason. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, then all that means is this, is they are using their gift for the glory and the honor of the kingdom of God, which is what their gift was designed for. And if we're just a small part of that, then we need to be thankful we had a part in it. Well, I want to be the big dog. Well, that right there is the problem. I know this from experience. 
Because so many times we as preachers don't want to be the little guy on the sidelines. We want to be the guy up on the platform preaching. And so it was like the Lord was saying to me, even as I was putting the message together, hey, are you going to rejoice when the body is honored? Or are you going to sit there and pout that you weren't the one that was honored? And I thought, well, Lord, the the people need this. I don't need this. Let's just leave it with them, okay? You don't have to smile tonight if you don't want to. I'm just saying, within the hearts of some of us, because of our selfishness, we struggle with wanting recognition. And Paul just said, listen, the way the body has been designed, the way that God has structured this, the way that God has brought it all together is this, is he wants there to be a sense of unity. He wants there to be a sense of an awareness that when someone is struggling, when someone is suffering, you need to be aware that you are suffering also and you ought to care for that person. Which means we've got to take the blinders off and we've got to lift our heads up and we've got to realize, you know what, I think so-and-so is suffering because they just haven't been the same. They haven't been as faithful as they once been. I need to reach out to them. We need to be of that spirit, but we won't if we're selfish and consumed with ourselves. And at the same time, the way God designed this is it ought to be that if one is honored, we just rejoice with what God has done in their lives rather than getting bent out of shape that it wasn't us. I just ask you this evening to be honest with yourself before God. Just ask yourself, do you ever struggle with selfishness? Do you ever struggle with being so self-absorbed that maybe the only people you ever notice are the ones that you're just naturally attracted to and, and everyone else could drop off the face of the earth and it wouldn't bother you at all. Do you ever struggle with that? Because if you do, what that means is this, is you don't realize that if they drop off the face of the earth, you're hurt as well. If they're suffering, you're su- suffering. If, if, if you're suffering, I'm suffering. It's just the way God designed it. Do you ever struggle with selfishness as it relates to that? And Do you ever struggle with selfishness by, by having to admit Sometimes you want the honor. Sometimes you want it to be your family that gets the attention or you want it to be your friends and not someone else. You say, that's absurd, Brother Kyle. It's really not absurd. You might be surprised at what some people struggle with. And that's just selfishness. Is there any room for improvement in the body of Christ for us to be more selfless and less selfish. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to just give some attention to the truth of this passage. Lord, I know that for myself, I don't fully understand everything that's being communicated and conveyed, but I know that I understand enough to know that you have put all of us in the same body because of our salvation. And because of that, I need to be mindful of the fact that when other people are suffering, it impacts my life as well. And I need to care about the least significant person, whoever that may be, in my opinion, 
I need to care about them as much as I would anyone else because of the impact that has on the body of Christ. And Lord, it may be that some in here this evening, like myself, they know what it's like to struggle sometimes with the pride and the, and the ego, and sometimes there's just that selfishness that, that rises up, and we want to be honored. God, I pray that you'd help us to remember to just celebrate with whoever you use, to celebrate that we have a part in that, and to let the selfishness go away and, and, and to just be taken care of. I pray that you'd bless. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.